Welcome to Fucking Cancelled, a podcast about what the left is like, what to do about it, and what it'll be like once we've done it. In today's episode, we start off with some news about the Green Party, before taking some time to dig into the platform of the Democratic Socialist Party, Quebec Solidaire. Welcome back to Fucking Cancelled. Bonjour, hi. <laughs> so, before we get into today's episode, we're going to do a couple announcements. Um... First of all, I think this episode is going to come out before this, so I thought I'd mention it. On October 1st in New York City, me and friend of the pod, Tara McGowan-Ross, are going to be tabling an event um, and basically selling zines and books and stuff like that. So if you are in New York City, you should come out to that. You can find all the information for that on my Instagram um also we've been announcing it but i'm going to keep reminding people if you are in london uk we are going to be having an event me and jay um where we are going to be doing some readings and meeting fans and hanging out um, along with some musical acts so that's happening in london uk on october 26th and again you can find the information about that on my Instagram. Also, you can find it on the fucking canceled Instagram. I guess I should be promoting the fucking canceled True. Instagram. Yeah, we like had a fucking canceled Instagram. And we never did anything with it. And um, now we're starting to correct that. Yeah, we're we're gonna start using it more and just like trying to make it an actual yeah, or, organ of the pod. Yeah, we're trying to promote the pod. So if you aren't already following fucking canceled on Instagram, please do. Now's your chance. Yeah, get on there and you can find the information for both those events there. Um, and also lots of other stuff. The other thing that I wanted to mention before we get into the episode is that I just wanted to plug our Patreon. We've been doing a push lately to try to get more patrons. So on the Patreon, you can find, you know, extra writing. You can find some video recordings of interviews that we've done. You can find the PDFs of our zines. Um, We give discounts to merch on there. There's like a bunch of cool extras, but that's not our main push. Our main push is that the work that we're doing on this podcast is important, you know? It's really necessary. We need to be having a leftist um, opposition to cancel culture, to identitarianism, and to all of the nonsense that is currently plaguing the left. And so we really believe in the work that we're doing on this podcast, but as it currently stands, it's not financially sustainable um we've been paying for everything out of pocket and also trying to maybe pay ourselves for some of our labor but unfortunately it is a lot of work and it is expensive to run a podcast so if you believe what we're doing and you want to see us continue with this work and you think that it's important we would really appreciate it if you would go to patreon.com slash fucking canceled and sign up to become a supporter it's like five bucks a month American, so that's like basically cheaper than a fancy latte these days. Yeah. A latte is like seven dollars now. It's like really getting crazy. Um and so we know that not everyone is able to financially support us, and you know, that's totally fine. If you're not able to, we appreciate 
you listening and we appreciate you sharing and all of those other kinds of support are really great too. But if you are able to, and you have a little bit of extra money kicking around, we would really appreciate it because we want to be able to invest more time and energy into this podcast because it's super important. Yeah. So thank you for listening to that pitch. Yeah. So now let's get into the episode content. (laughs) Um, Today we're going to be talking about Canadian politics. Right? And Quebec politics. Oh, right. I'm so sorry. <laughs> right, 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 right. Of course. We're going to be talking about Canadian politics and Quebec politics. Um, Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, well, we're going to start off with some like news about the Green Party, the federal Canadian Green Party. Um, just because it's like funny and also extremely indicative of like all the kinds of stuff that we're constantly talking about. I mean, about. I don't know if it's necessarily funny as much as it's... It's funny in a dark and despairing kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then we're going to get into, um, we wanted to talk about the the upcoming provincial election in Quebec. Which is happening. It's happening on the 3rd, yeah. Yeah. Or I guess it's like currently ongoing, um, but the last day of polling is the 3rd. Yeah, because there's a lot of interesting stuff for socialists to think about in in that election, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's first get into this little bit of news um, about the Green Party of Canada. Yeah. So, I don't know, to set the stage, the Green Party of Canada is, like, widely, unfortunately, like, widely seen as, like, a bit of a joke because for years they've just been, like, consumed in the most sort of, like, vicious infighting and it's, like, constantly spilling onto the front pages of newspapers and everybody's just sort of like, what is going on in the Green Party, you know? Maybe before we get into that, though, can we give some context to listeners who aren't Canadian about the concept of a Green Party? Because... I feel like, you know, especially for our American listeners, the concept of this party might be a bit hard to understand because they sure. are living in a two-party kind of situation. True, yeah. So in Canada, we have like three major parties, I would say, or maybe you would say four. Yeah, three and on a On a federal level. Yeah. Basically, you know, we have um, the Conservatives, the Liberals, the NDP, which is like our sort of slightly more lefty party. Yeah. And then we have the Greens, which is... The Greens are supposedly a party that cares about the environment as, like, a central political issue. Did you just not mention the Bloc Well, I'm talking about on a federal level. That is a federal party. I mean, yes, but, like, do you think that it counts as, like, a major... Yeah, they consistently get, like, a large number of seats. There's also the Bloc Okay. <laughs> and also, uh, we'll get into this more when we get into Quebec Solidaire, but I am from Ontario, Jay is proudly from Quebec, and this will play out throughout the episode um, for those who are not familiar with these politics, but whatever. So to focus on the current topic, the Greens are a major political party, you know? Like, we have have not seen them, like, win an election. Like, it's not, like, a normal thing to be like, oh, the Greens are going to, like, the Prime Minister is going to be from the Green Party or anything like that. No, but they, they have a couple of seats in Parliament, which yeah. means that they're, like, a real party. They're yeah. not, like, a, you know, they're they're a bit fringe, but they're not, like, a wacko party that, exactly. like, never would win a seat, you know? Yeah, they're, like, a major party, um, and, you know, they're in the, the debates, and, like, yeah, people know who they are, and they're, you know, kind of a big deal. Yeah. So that's the context. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so basically, you know, a couple of years ago, um, they got a new leader, um, Annemi Paul, and there was like a ton of drama around her that we're not even going to get into because it's like a whole other thing. Yeah. And I guess even before we get into that, sorry, I keep the this, <laughs> but like, 
like, if people have been listening to the podcast for a while, I think it was our second episode, we talked about Dimitri Lascaris, and, like, Dimitri Lascaris was an eco-socialist who um, ran for the leader of the Green Party, and he had, like, a really cool eco-socialist platform that we talked about at length. I'm pretty sure it was the second episode of the podcast. Yeah, it's true. The second episode of the podcast, yeah, we went through his whole platform. And then... He lost, but it was like he came very close to winning. He yeah, was like he lost by like five percent. Yeah, to anime. To Paul. anime Paul. So anime Paul is the one who took the leadership, and that was only like a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, and there was more drama about that, um, which we're not going to get into for the sake of time. But basically, it resulted in her stepping down. Yeah. Um, and so then currently, um, we have a interim leader named Amina Kuttner, who is currently acting as the the leader of the Green Party. Yeah, so Amina Kuttner was um, appointed as the leader, not um, elected by the by the body of the membership of um, right, the they, Green Party. They are basically holding holding the position until there's another election. Yeah, and around the same time, um, a, a woman named Lorraine Reckmans was appointed as president of the party. Um, right. And so leader and president, not the same thing. Um, the president kind of like runs the like internal um, apparatus of the party, I guess you could say, and then the leader is responsible for sort of like formulating policy and all that kind of thing. Right, and Lorraine Reckmans was in part appointed to sort of address some of the previous scandalous stuff going on around identitarian concerns within the party. Yeah. And yeah, basically like one of the reasons why we're even talking about this is because most of the scandals and most of the internal drama that keep happening in the Green Party are constantly about identitarian concerns. They're like never about the environment. Right. (laughs) Or like, you know, like what anyone actually is doing. Right. Um, It's always just sort of people being like, this party is like extremely like unsafe for like whatever this, this kind of person. Right. And so they basically have like intentionally brought someone in who is, you know, down with identitarianism and who wants to basically make the party more identitarian. Yeah. Um, And so that's the context. And then basically recently in a Zoom meeting, an internal Zoom meeting within the Green Party, um, there was like pronouns shown on screen for the various speakers at and in the in the Zoom meeting. Mm-hmm. And Amina Kuttner, who uses they them pronouns in English, mm-hmm. um, had the wrong pronouns shown on screen. Yeah, that's the context. And so. This is the current leader of the Green Party who was accidentally misgendered in a Zoom meeting. When this was pointed out that the that Amina had been accidentally misgendered, there was an immediate apology and it was corrected. Yeah. So, you know, people apologized and it wasn't like Lorraine Reckman who did this. You know, it wasn't like Lorraine Reckman who like actually misgendered, but like yeah. Lorraine Reckman is the president. Lorraine Reckman apologized. Like everybody was like, we're sorry about that. Also, you have to understand that like the context is is that if you're in a party or like any situation in which pronouns are shown next to your name in in Zoom meetings, what that communicates is that people are down with the pronoun discourse. Like People know that, like, by looking at someone, you don't necessarily know what their pronouns are. And so that is why you would show someone's pronouns on the screen. So the very fact that they're doing that, in my opinion, shows that they are not hostile to non-binary people. No, like, like, like n- n- no organization that is hostile to non-binary people, trans people, or, like, pronoun discourse in general would ever be showing pronouns exactly. on screen. So, it, like, it automatically signals that it's, like, a very progressive organization yeah. in that regard, right? And so, like, 
but they somebody made a mistake and then apologized. Yeah. Um, and basically, Amina Kuttner, um turned this, and, and not just Amina Kuttner, because also like other people who were like high up in the in the party or who were like running for leadership positions also like put out these statements yeah. saying that Amina Kuttner was being like oppressed. Yeah. Right. Discriminated against, harmed. Like literally oppressed, you know. Yeah. And it's just like really, really funny because like you think about like the power dynamics of the the individual like people right. involved here. You know, there's like one person who's like some like volunteer who's like right. setting up a Zoom meeting yeah. for the Green Party, and then there's the leader of a federal political party. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like who is more who has more power in that situation? Yeah. Not to mention, you know, who has more power between you know this misgendered you know leader of a political party and you know people experiencing extreme weather and forest fires due to climate change who would like to have a functional like, like they, green party yeah, yeah who might possibly address some of this yeah. so anyway that's the circumstance and then the way that it was phrased is that you know that this is part of a ongoing pattern of harm and discrimination against basically LGBTQ people and BIPOC people and like racialized people within the party. Yeah. So like it got taken from this instance and it got extrapolated out into a pattern of harm. And from the articles that we read, like we did a bunch of reading about this, there was no further like specification as to like what was meant by that. Right. Yeah. Like what is meant by a pattern of harm? What do you mean by discrimination? Um, can you give other examples beyond this misgendering, like concrete examples? It's very vague. And I mean, for listeners to this podcast, we're very familiar with this kind of thing. Like these very vague overarching statements Mm -hmm. that like could mean a lot of different things. Like what specifically are you talking about when you're talking about like discrimination and harm that could be like really serious stuff, or it could be like an accidental misgendering that was immediately apologized for. So it's like, what are you talking about? Um, and so that happened. Um, and then basically Lorraine Reckman, who is the current president and who was brought on basically to address like identitarian concerns within the party, basically she was like, she felt quite criticized by this. Yeah. She felt like she was being told that she was failing in the work that she was trying to do to make the party um, welcoming and inclusive to queer people and racialized people and anyone else who is marginalized. Mm. Um, and so she was like, you know, I think this is like not a really fair criticism of the current context, but I think what she did is kind of interesting because basically in a certain way, you could describe what Lauren Reckman's did as calling the records bluff because what she said in response to this is that if there is a pattern of harm and discrimination. And, like, systemic racism from top to bottom. Like, throughout the party. Which is what the the all these statements kept saying. Yeah, that there's, like, this serious issue of, like, discrimination and harm and, like, abuse, basically. Like, abuse was, was a word that was, was used. Abuse. Yeah. So, it's, like, abuse is going on within the party. That's, like, very, very serious. And so, basically, Lorraine Reckman was, like, I don't think that it makes sense to be running like an internal election right now, if it is a profoundly unsafe space for people. Like obviously if, if things are that serious, that needs to there needs to be an internal investigation and there needs to be like we need to address what what this serious issue is before we have um 
before we have like a leadership race. Yeah, because these elections that they're running within the Green Party for for the, their next leader, you know, because Amina Kunner is just the interim leader, um, are being staffed by volunteers. So right. <laughs> basically, Lorraine Brackman was just like, yeah, like if it's so dangerous and so racist and so homophobic and so transphobic that it's like a systemic issue from top to bottom that is infecting every part of the party, then it would be totally irresponsible of us to hold this election because right. we'd be putting people in danger, you know? And then everyone was like, oh, wait, not like that. Exactly. And so like Amina Kuttner was like, no, that's not what we mean we absolutely can do these things at the same time which it, it undermines like what they're saying because it's like you kind of have to choose like is this very serious and dangerous if so it should be treated as such or is it really not that big of a deal yeah and if, it, if that's the case then why are you making such a big deal out of it yeah um and so basically uh lauren reckman resigned mm-hmm. from the party mm-hmm. she wrote a letter um, and she basically said that, like, the dream of the Green Party is dead. Yeah. It was, um, like, really scorched earth. Like. <laughs> and she she basically said that she has absolutely no faith in any of the current candidates who are running for the leadership of the party because all of them are doing this record nonsense. Yeah, and she even says in her letter, she's like, accusations of harm were constantly being weaponized against me yeah. in my role as president, you yeah. know? And she was like, basically, she was like, I was trying to make the party, like, way more, like, identitarian and to have, like, safer spaces yeah. or whatever. But, like, my work was not being acknowledged and, like, yeah, these accusations were being weaponized. So there was no, there wasn't even, like, a chance for me to, like, make the party, like, more, like, welcoming or whatever. Right. Um, I mean, also, like, another thing that's sort of, like, funny... And, like, important to note is that, like, people hearing this might be picturing sort of, like, um, you know, a person of color who is surrounded by, like, white people who are being really, like, you know... um, Dismissive. Obtuse or dismissive. But, like, all the people involved are people of color. Like, Amina Kutner is. Lorraine Rackman is indigenous. Annamie Paul was a person of color. Right. I mean, she still is. Right. Um, And it's just, like... And, like, this is a party that, like, far from being, like, so homophobic that it's, like, a terrifying space for anyone, appointed, like, the first non-binary... leader of, like, any political party in probably North America. Totally. Um, Exactly. Yeah, so, I don't know. It's just, like, very funny to hear that it's sort of, like, infested with, like, like, like bigotry from top to bottom. And so, and so basically now Reckman's is resigning, um, doesn't have any faith in the organization, and also is, is... Suggesting that they don't do a leadership race. Yeah. And in response, the two MPs, members of parliament, that the Greens actually have elected, you know, that the Greens have in Ottawa sitting in parliament, um, threatened to quit and just leave the party if they didn't hold a leadership election. And anyways, like, honestly, the whole thing is just this, like, slow motion implosion of, like, every sort of, like, every structure that is holding the Green Party up is just, like, falling apart completely. To the point where it looks like the Green Party might actually literally fall apart. They, they lost so many donors and so many members over this recent round of infighting that they don't have enough money to, to keep renting their Ottawa office. Yeah. So they're thinking of closing their Ottawa office. Yeah. So this is like literally the destruction of a major political party um, in Canada. And not just that, you know, but a major political party that has in its name, you know, at least a commitment to the environment. Right. Yeah. And like their track record on that is not great you know like there's a lot of very real and legitimate criticisms that can be made about the green party and like what they've actually done however as we were talking about in the second episode of this podcast an eco-socialist almost won 
leadership of the party in the yeah. last race. And so there could have been the potential of this going in a very different direction yeah. had Dimitri Lascaris won. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, basically the only party that has like a, you know, unambiguous, at least, you know, articulated um, commitment to the environment is now collapsing due to pronoun discourse. And so those of us who are inside the Nexus, we have seen these scandals play out at every book club, every fucking <laughs> anarchist fair, every fucking attempt at any kind of anything. Every student group. And yeah. Every, uh... So we know. We've seen it a million times. But to be seeing this kind of drama play out in a fucking, like, federal party with literal, like, professional like politicians and fully grown adults Mm -hmm. is absolutely it's wild man it's ridiculous yeah it is absolutely ridiculous and looking at the context of the climate crisis Mm -hmm. and the fact of how severe it is and the fact that it's happening now and the fact that we have flooding and forest fires and extreme weather events and you know scientists are literally like this shit is fucking bananas it's very serious and this is how the green party is acting it's absolutely fucking absurd and so we just wanted to highlight that and to sort of draw attention to the fact that this is happening and it's kind of relevant to the last episode that we just put out where you're talking about recordism Mm -hmm. if this is happening in like a federal party and nobody is just saying this is ridiculous you have to stop yeah like, what chance do we have, right? Like, and, and this is what happens, right? This is what happens when identitarianism becomes the main focus rather than anything material, you know? Yeah. And, like, in this case, it's called the fucking Green Party. They're supposed to be talking about the environment. Notice that none of these things were about the environment. <laughs> yeah. Like, none of the, anything that they've been talking about for the past two fucking years has been about the yeah. environment, you know? Totally. It is all about, like, interpersonal drama between, like, fully grown adults. Yeah. Like you said, like, professionals, very accomplished people, you know, yeah. who are treating the Green Party as their own personal, like, narcissistic sounding board to sort of, like, you know, gaze at themselves in the mirror and 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 think about how, like, cool and oppressed they are. Yeah. It's, like, absolutely fucking ridiculous. You If you are, like, the leader of a federal political party, you are not being oppressed by a fucking volunteer. Yeah. It's know? absurd. It's absolutely absurd. And, yeah, so just before we move on like you know i just want to say for the record because i know that (laughs) i just want to say for the records um that like see what you did there i know that you know when when people make criticisms like the kind that we are making right now there's a lot of people who will immediately go to like oh you don't care about non-binary people or like you don't care about trans people and it's like i just want to point out that that is absurd you know, and I'm actually tired of people using trans people and non-binary people and racialized people as, pawns. as literal puppets yeah. for their own nonsense. Not all trans people, non-binary people, racialized people, marginalized people think that this kind of nonsense is okay. No, you know? no one does. It's like absolutely <laughs> fucking ridiculous, man. And if you talk to a lot of normal people who are trans, non-binary, racialized, marginalized, etc., they will be like, what the fuck is this, right? Yeah. The majority of regular people, which includes marginalized people of all kinds, would like to have a planet to live on, you know? Um, And the majority of regular people do not consider being misgendered in... Like, accidentally. Accidentally misgendered, and then an apology given, in a Zoom meeting to be like what oppression is, you know? Yeah. And, like, real people have real issues and concerns... 
And I'm tired of non-binary people in this case being sort of put in opposition to real people, like real working people. Because I'm like, non-binary people are real working people. Non-binary people pay rent. Non-binary people need healthcare. Non-binary people would like a planet that they can live on. And so it isn't fair to put these things in opposition, you know? And Mm -hmm. it's like, it's like, of course people should have their pronouns respected, you know? Um, They, them pronouns, totally legit, totally fine if you use they, them pronouns, totally fine, not a problem, you know? Yeah. But the thing is, is that it's not a reason to blow up a political party. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) And, like, when we work together, you know, as we are um, trying to build an organized left, okay, you are going to run into people who don't actually understand they, them pronouns, you know, or who think they, them pronouns are weird or who don't get them or something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. If you want to build an organized left, you're going to have to work with those people. Get used to it, man. You're going to have to work with those people. And these people aren't even doing that. These people fully understand it, have it like set up so that their Zoom meetings have pronouns listed. We're super apologetic about the error, you know, so they're not even doing that. But if you're going to be working and building mass solidarity with regular working people, many of those regular working people are not going to have any fucking idea what you're talking about. And part of building solidarity is extending grace and compassion and understanding that not everybody is the same as you and not everyone is going to understand your pronouns and you're going to have to operate with some some generosity, you know? And part of that is also understanding that you don't understand everything about them, right? So in the same way that that you working with someone who's quite different from yourself, that they might do something, you know, accidentally that is insulting to you, you may also be doing things that are insulting to other people and not be aware of it because people are different from each other, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that's just going to be a part of organizing across difference. We're going to have to deal with it and we're going to have to get back to focusing on what is actually important, which is climate change for sure and like you know in terms of like representation politics and stuff it's like i i happen to be for my sins a non-binary person (laughs) i was like should we bring that up (laughs) and you know i I like i like a good they them um (laughs) when people are referring to me you know um and i'm just like when i think about like being represented as as a non-binary person you know on a political level i don't think about um, being represented by someone whose main contribution is whining about fucking pronouns. No. I'm like, it's so embarrassing, man. Like, stop embarrassing us. Yeah. Non-binary people ruin being non-binary. Yeah. Like, I'm going to write a paper about it. Yeah. You know, Please it's do. Like, so fucking annoying. Please do. Um, I'm like, you managed to become the leader of a political party, even though you're non-binary, um, and you use wacky pronouns, and like, good job, you know? Well done. Yeah. Sweet. Now can you run the fucking political party? Yeah. And maybe can we talk about the climate crisis. Yeah. Anyways. So that was our piece of news. Yeah. Um, thank you for listening to us rant on that topic. And now we will get into the bulk of the episode in which we are going to be talking about a political party called Quebec Solidaire. Yeah. And so let's just, before we get into that, give a little bit of a disclaimer in which I will fully admit to being a rather ignorant Anglophone from Ontario um, who has only lived in Quebec for five years and probably still knows less than I should about Quebec <laughs> politics. So I'm just going to admit that right out of the gate. And so apologize for my ignorance. Um, but Jay is going to give us a little bit of some context about Quebec Solidaire before we get into it. Yeah. Yes, I am. So this is a little bit of a pivot, right? Because we we're talking about federal Canadian politics. Now we're going to be talking about provincial Quebec politics. Um, 
it's important for people who are not from Canada or not from Quebec even to understand that um, within Quebec, there is a strong political movement called sovereignism. Um, sovereignism is the belief that Quebec should separate from Canada and be its own independent state. Um, now, I think a lot of people don't really understand that that's like a serious thing because especially like Americans and stuff, because Americans are like, oh, yeah, there's like Texas wants to separate. Huh? But it's like not like that. You right. know? There's been two referendums in Quebec to separate already. Um, both of them lost by like a couple of percent. Yeah. Um, so and right now, like the support for sovereignism for separation from Canada um, is riding at, you know, between like 30 and 50 percent, depending on like the poll in the year, you know. So like a lot of people like want Quebec to separate. Now, you might ask, why would people want Quebec to separate? Quebec is the only like majority French speaking jurisdiction in North America. Um, and it's, you know, often considered by both kind of like anthropologists and political scientists and whatever to be considered like a kind of separate like nation within North America and within Canada, right? Um, Quebecers are, yeah, French speaking, descended from like a different sort of like group of original like settlers, um, have like different traditions, whatever. Yeah. Um, so that's the context. And what that means politically in Quebec is that the political parties tend to be split between um, federalist and sovereignist political parties. Federalist political parties want to want Quebec to remain within Canada and sovereigns as political parties want Quebec to separate from Canada eventually in some way. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, is that, I feel like that covers it. And yeah, I'll just say like, as a, as a Anglophone from, you know, the rest of Canada, the rock, um, the ROC, yeah. that like there really is a phenomenon in which, the rest of Canada does not really learn or understand about what is going on in Quebec. Mm -hmm. Like there's a profound amount of ignorance about it. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, when people move from outside of Quebec into Quebec who are Anglophones, um, there's often like a shock confusion and entitlement aspect of coming from like being an English speaker, which is, you know, a language that is dominant in the world, mm-hmm. um, and in which, you know, we're not used to being like, oh shit, like I am now not speaking the dominant language and I have to learn the language here, right? And people mm-hmm. are definitely not expecting to do that in what they consider to be the same country. Mm-hmm. And so when people move to Quebec from outside of Quebec, but within Canada, they're like kind of shook that like when they get there, they don't actually, <laughs> they don't speak the language and it's actually expected that they should learn French, um, and it's a whole thing. It's a whole phenomenon. It is a whole thing and a whole phenomenon. Um, another part of the context here is that in Quebec, the left has historically been very associated with the sovereignist movement. Right. Um, in the 60s and 70s, um, there was, you know, even a like an armed like Marxist revolutionary group that like tried to like overthrow the government um, and create like a Marxist like Quebec nation state, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they were called the, the Front de Libération de Québec, the Quebec Liberation Front. Um, now, out of that sort of, like, really intense, like, Marxist, like, guerrilla movement, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, they killed people and they blew stuff up and they, like, hijacked shit and, like, they were, like, serious, serious business, you know? Out of that grew the sort of, like, peaceful left-wing sovereignist movement. Right. Which was basically encapsulated in the Parti Québécois, the Quebec Party. Mm -hmm. Um, The Parti Québécois later kind of, like, 
fell apart, you could say, into, like, kind of, like, three main bits. Um, and, like, one of them is, like, more right-wing, and it currently, like, rules Quebec, and it's called the CAC. Um, and then there's, like, the original sort of Parti Québécois. And then there's, like, the kind of, like, leftist elements that kind of, like, fell away from the party, whatever. Um, Quebec Solidaire is a sovereignist political party, a social democratic or democratic socialist political party, depending on, on, on who you ask. And it had absorbed some of the kind of like left-wing elements of the sovereignist movement. Now, um, it's a really interesting thing, Quebec Solidaire, because what they did was they were like, what if we tried to unify all the different left-wing groups that we can in Quebec and run them as a political party? And they tried very hard to do that. And to a degree, they succeeded. So Quebec Solidaire is made up of... Um, like its original like founding constituent like member groups were a bunch of like Marxist Leninist groups, like Trotskyists, you know, there were a bunch of like left-wing sovereignist groups. There was like some um, ecological groups and like alter globalist groups. So alter globalization groups. So there were sort of like anti-globalization um, left-wing activist types, you know, mm-hmm. and through like a lot of effort, they managed to get all of these groups to, come together, figure out what they had in common, and then make, like, a, a, you know, a constitution around that, and then start running candidates as a party. And um, they formed in 2006 um, with the goal of uh, uniting the left against neoliberalism. Um, They describe themselves as sovereignist, green, feminist, and alter-globalization. Um... They have uh, co-leaders, which is, like, an interesting thing. They always have, like, a male and female leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and they cl- include within them all these collectives. Like, within the party, there's all these collectives. There's kind of, like, these caucuses, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of have their own um, own opinions about things. Like, some are, like, hardcore communists and, like, some are, you know, right. other, other stuff. And, um, yeah, so when they first started, they got, like, zero seats. They got, like, 4% of the vote, you know, mm-hmm. very small. Um, but that was only, that was in 2007, the first election that they contested. Um, and the last election, 2018, they got 10 seats, um, and 16% of the vote. Okay. Um, so that's like a huge increase. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's only been going up basically. Yeah. And this year, um, they have what I think is a really cool platform. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a very sharp spokesman guy, Gabriel mm-hmm. Nadeau-Dubois. Um, and... I think that they have a good shot, probably not at winning the election, unfortunately, but they have a good shot of, like, influencing Quebec politics, um, pushing everybody to the left, um, and they have offered this really cool socialist platform that is actually getting a lot of traction, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that it's important for people in North America, outside of Quebec, to know that there is a socialist political party in North America that has seats in a legislative assembly um, that is, you know, actively proposing this like socialist platform that I think that a lot of us could learn from. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I also think another reason why, you know, cause we're going to get into some of what the platform um, actually is suggesting, but I think part of the reason why we like to nerd out on like policy suggestions is that I think it's like useful for people to think about their politics in this more like concrete and material way. Right. Mm -hmm. To be like, what could it look like? You know, like what are some actual suggestions that could be made or some changes that could be made to bring our politics 
into the real world, right? Yep. And, like, we talked about in the second episode of the podcast, Dimitri Lascaris's like, political platform, and we also had, like, our socialist dreaming where we were talking about sort of, like, spitballing about, like, what would be cool policies, yeah. you know, if we could just make up our own ideas about what we wanted to have done. Yeah. But I think that for leftists, you know, looking at policies like this, like, policy suggestions like this, it can help us to strategize and to actually, like, imagine concrete like changes that could be made, right? Yeah, definitely. And also, like, yeah, like if you've ever dreamed about what it would be like if all the different like left wing splinter groups actually got together and tried to figure some shit out, this is what it looks like. Yeah, you know? and I think that's really cool. Yeah, and like whether or not you agree with everything in their platform, like I don't agree with everything in yeah. their platform, you know, but I do think that it's important to like see what happens when a bunch of like serious left wing people get together and try to like come up with a platform, you know? Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people get bent out of shape about the fact that Quebec Solidarity is sovereigntist, you know? Right. Um, um, especially people from the rest of Canada who are like, they don't want Quebec to separate. A lot of like Anglophones in Quebec also don't want Quebec to separate. So they're like, I would never vote for Quebec Solidar. Myself, I'm kind of agnostic about sovereignty these days. I used to be a lot more of a sovereigntist. These days I'm like, I don't know, whatever. I don't really care about that. Like I'd rather exactly. live in like a socialist independent Quebec with like wacky language laws <laughs> than, you know, to continue to live in like a conservative Quebec within Canada that has like lots of protections for, for Anglophones. A hundred percent. Like even as, you know, one of these, um, ex Ontario people living in Quebec who literally does not speak French, personally, the idea of Quebec separating is like not super chill for me in my own personal life, but I'm, <laughs> I'm prepared to sacrifice that. You know, it's like, it's like the policies that they're suggesting are super great. Yeah. And there's a lot that I'm really behind and definitely they're going to get my vote because, um, because they're suggesting some fucking cool shit, you know? And if that means I have to separate from the rest of Canada, well, count them all, I guess. Yeah. But it's also just that like the left in Quebec when they all get together, it's a bunch of separatists. Yeah. You know? And, like, that's just what it is. And, yeah, that's fine. And it's like, if I'm going to be here, then I'm going to be here, so. Yeah. I should also mention before we jump into the platform that the word I keep saying, solidaire, mm-hmm. <laughs> Quebec solidaire, solidaire, like, solidaire is, um, it's a French adjective that means, like, in solidarity mm-hmm. with, I guess, you know? So there isn't, like, a good English translation, but we could call it Quebec solidarity if we wanted to translate it, but it's not exactly what it means. It's mm-hmm. sort of like Quebec in solidarity, I guess, it would mm-hmm. be, like, a better translation. But anyways, that's what that word means. Um, yeah, so I think that that basically covers the background. So we basically, like, <laughs> they're really funny because Quebec solidarity, like, does not have a platform in English. They only have it in French. Well, apparently you said that you can get it. Or, like, I couldn't find it online. But you said that when you went into the office that they said it does exist or something? Well, no. I said that basically one of one of their candidates in, like, Gatineau Hall is um, running and he has a lot of, like, English, like, speakers okay. in his constituency. And so he asked the, like, head office for some, like, English material and they sent it to him, which is just, like, really funny because it's, like, a super French party. But anyways, I couldn't find, like, a full English translation of their their platform, so I just translated it myself. Um, Thank you. Thank you for your service. So we have in front of us, like, this sort of, like, medium-length version of their platform. It's, like, five pages long, so we're not going to, like, read every single part of it. Mm-hmm. But we sort of, like, highlighted some stuff that stuck out that we thought was cool and we would like to just sort of, like, share with people, get socialists thinking about what what like a realistic socialist platform could look like um and yeah just share some uh, some quebec politics with you yeah yeah so yeah the first uh, the first section is um about the environment and i think quebec solidaire has like a pretty cool um pretty cool commitment to environmentalism um they've definitely like tried to invite the green party of quebec to like join them like a bunch of times but the green party won't because they're federalists okay um but uh yeah it just goes to show that they're like they're like as green as the green party basically you know um 
one of the things they want to do is by 2030, which is in eight years, reduce the greenhouse gas emissions um, in Quebec to 55% of their 1990 levels. So, like, currently the, the plan is to reduce them by 37% compared to their 1990 levels. So, basically, they want to, like, ramp that up by, like, a, a big chunk. Um, and, yeah, so, I don't know. I think that's a good start. You know, they want to find a whole bunch of different policy um, means to make sure the greenhouse gas emissions are, like like rapidly reduced in like a big way mm-hmm. um part of that and also you know its own thing is that they want to create a huge infrastructure project to cover quebec with public um electric rail um so they want to create you know train lines between cities and stuff and have it like be electrified if possible and to extend public transit and bike lanes in cities and also towns so they want to have like a huge expansion of transit basically Mm -hmm. to make it much much easier for people to not use cars yeah super Um, important yeah so yeah they also want to ban the sale of non-electric cars by 2030 um, they want to ban new hydrocarbon extraction and the building of pipelines completely and nationalize all energy production in Quebec. Yeah, so that's actually like a huge deal because, you know, you might ask yourself like what what government would ever just say like we're going to leave oil in the ground? Yeah. Well, they are. Yeah, and remember Trudeau said that. Like he was like nobody's going to leave oil in the ground. Mm-hmm. And it's like I'm sorry, the world is on fire. It's yes. time to be leaving oil in the ground. Yeah, absolutely. Um and so I appreciate I appreciate very bold like you know, like, like non, like not willing to compromise on this, mm-hmm. like just being like, no, like mm-hmm. we're actually, we're not doing any more extraction and we're not building any more pipelines to do so at this point would be absolutely insane. And I think that, um, we need to get clear on that. Like, I think we can't just be doing this like wishy-washy, like, well, maybe we could still have a couple pi- pipelines like as a treat. Yeah. It's like, no, we're, we're way past that point. Um, so I appreciate the, the clarity on that. Yeah. Um, make planned obsolescence illegal and guarantee the right to repair. I think that that is a very interesting one. Super interesting. And they don't have a ton of details about this on yeah. their website, but I have heard about this before in like leftist circles and I fucking love it. I'm yeah. actually obsessed with this. Yeah. Um, I think that it's so fucking cool. It's basically like we, I guess we could explain what planned obsolescence is like really briefly. It's when like companies make products that they know are going to break in like two, three years because they want to buy, buy another buy one, new one, you know? Yeah. Um, and so what they want to do is make that practice illegal. So if you're found to be doing it on purpose, then, you know, you can face like huge fines or like have your fucking factory nationalized or whatever. Um, and then, um, guarantee the right to repair. So what that means is to make it so that like all products have to be constructed in such a way that like, uh, you know, a trained person would be able to repair them. Yeah. Right. They have to have components that you can like take out and put back in. Yeah. Um, it can't just be like this thing that if one part stops working, the whole thing is trash done. Yeah. Right. And again, these are, these are things that it's like the fact that, that this is sort of seen as like radical or strange or that like not a lot of people are suggesting this at this point in history is absolutely fucking bananas you know because the idea of planned obsolescence is it's literally capitalists it's obscene who are just trying to create more and more profit by literally creating pollution like that's what they're doing on purpose Mm -hmm. and it's like we are so beyond time to be doing this kind of thing and it's It's disgusting it's also like war against consumers yeah right because like you know if Let's say, like, a phone cost, like, double what it does now. It yeah. would be, like, a big investment. You know, yeah. it, would, it, would, it would, you would have to, like, think about it before you buy it yeah. or whatever, you know. Um, but imagine that it was always going to be repairable. 
Yeah. For the rest of its lifetime. Yeah. You know, like there was every single part of it could be taken out and replaced with like a new part, whatever. Yeah. Modular, right? Yeah. Like your initial investment would obviously be higher, but then you would never have to fucking buy totally. a phone again, you yeah. know? It's absurd. And, and it would like create a lot more security for consumers. And imagine if that was extended to like all products, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's so I think absolutely. That's yeah. a, re- a really cool thing, and it's like a, a kind of like socialist take on wealth, you know? That like the ability to just buy like infinite new products is not the only way to measure wealth. Like having products that will last you for a really long time is another way to measure wealth, mm-hmm. you know? And I think it's an important one. Um, okay, another really fucking cool thing they want to do is they want to make 30% of Quebec's territory protected land. Mm-hmm. Um, and they want to build wildlife corridors throughout Quebec so that, like, there's huge areas of forested land that, like, can't be logged, you know, can't be, like, you know, you can't fucking cut it down to build subdivisions, anything. It's, like, national parks or provincial parks, uh, which we also call national parks in Quebec, by the way. <laughs> um we have national parks and parks national. Um, and they want to make the St. Lawrence River, which is like the gigantic river that goes through Quebec, um, a legal person, which would give it rights. So this is something that sounds kind of like wacky on first glance, but it's something that's been done in a couple different countries, actually, giving legal rights, like the rights of personhood to natural features, you know, mm-hmm. often, often rivers, sometimes mountains. And, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, don't corporations get treated as people? Yes, they have a legal personhood in a certain way of speaking. And so, basically, it's like saying, like, well, if a corporation can be a person, then so can a river. So can a fucking fleuve. Yeah, so can a fleuve. Um, fleuve is French for... Uh, a special kind of river. A special kind of river, um, of which the St. Lawrence is one. Um yeah, so, I mean, that's a really cool and exciting thing. I think that that's really awesome. And it means that, like, the in theory, the St. Lawrence River could then sue a company for polluting it you know obviously a lawyer would have to do the actual suing but like groups could like sue on behalf of the river um it could be considered you know like a crime to like uh you know to you know go against the rights of that river yeah yeah and i think that's yeah this river is so fucking important it's really important and it's traditionally been extremely polluted yeah because it's like the main route um for industrial um, shipping yeah, between like connects, the, the Great yeah. Lakes and the ocean. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and yeah, the last thing on their environmental slate, obviously this is the short version of their slate, but yeah, um, is to phase out the private exploitation of water. Um, so like bottled water production mm-hmm. in Quebec. And basically they're like, okay, like if we're going to be putting water in bottles, there's no reason why like Nestle should just make like a 7,000% profit on that, you know? Um, and Quebec will do it. Like the, the either the country of Quebec will do it or... Um, it just won't be allowed, you know, which I also think is amazing because like these enormous corporations make this like, who are literally just making plastic. Like that's what yeah, they do. <laughs> totally. And they're just like, we're selling you this water. And it's like the, the water belongs to all of us. Yeah. What are you talking about? You stole that water and now you're selling us plastic. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So we'll move on to the next section. We're kind of just going to be skimming through these. Yeah, we'll just, we're, just, we're just going. Um, so the next section is called the proximity economy and regional economic development. So we're only going to say a couple from this one, but one is to develop a sustainable and responsible battery production industry from mining to recycling. Mm-hmm. And so when they're talking about batteries, mostly they're talking about like lithium batteries for electric cars and other sort of like large industrial appliances mm-hmm. um, that would allow them to be, well, would allow them to be electric and not be run on, on gasoline. 
Um, and so in order to have a, those types of vehicles and, and industrial appliances, you need the batteries, right? Right. Um, currently, a lot of lithium is mined in, like, Africa and China, um, but we have lithium here. Um, we have other, like, minerals, too, that can be used in the making of those batteries. Um the mining of lithium in particular, but a lot of these other minerals as well, is, like, extremely bad for the environment. Yeah. And so what Quebec Solidaire is saying is that, like, if we're going to be mining them, which we kind of have to be, it should be uh, done by a current corporation, overseen by the government, um, and it should be, like, you know, done in as responsible and, like, uh, clean a manner as physically possible. So basically taking the profit motive out of it. Um, right. So that it, there's no there's no motive for corporations to just like pollute massively right. and extract as much as possible. And then yeah. Leave. And again, with the recycling component of it, it's like kind of going back to the planned obsolescence thing. It's like the way that we do things now is so ridiculous that like there's probably so much material that has been mined mm-hmm. that has been turned into garbage. Mm-hmm. And it's like if we stopped that process and we actually you know used things in a more responsible way where we were actually recycling instead of just trashing shit, um, there would probably have to, we wouldn't have to mine as much. Totally. And it's also like if your electric car breaks down right now, I don't know what happens to the battery. Right. You know, probably it just goes in a dump. Yeah. Right. Whereas like you could probably do something with that. Yeah. Um, they also want to create a fund uh, to retrain workers away from polluting industries to help them find work in green industries. So... Pretty straightforward, obviously an important thing, but not something that everybody's talking about. So I think that's good. And it's, it's really important to, like, think about these workers, too, you know? Absolutely. Because, like, the kinds of people who work in, like, you know, oil extraction or whatever it is, it's like they're not responsible for climate change. They're yeah. workers. They're, they're just, workers. They're working and they're trying to fucking feed their families, you know? Yeah. And if you can offer them, like, jobs that are just as good, uh, you know, like, working on, like, like windmills or whatever, then that's amazing. Yeah. And, and being hostile towards workers, like, as we move towards um, challenging climate change is not going to help get workers on board with the fight against climate change, right? So we have to bring workers along for the ride. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. So the next one is food. Um, A bunch of cool shit on this one. Yeah. So create spending policies mandating that 70% of food bought by the public sector, schools, hospitals, etc. must be local. And 50% must be vegetarian. Mm -hmm. So this is very interesting. In Quebec, there's, like, a large public sector, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Because, you know, hospitals are publicly owned and, um, you know, there's, like, all the public schools and everything like that. And obviously they have to buy food for people, particularly children, also sick people, (laughs) whatever. Um, And also, you know, like, government buildings and stuff, same thing. And so what they're trying to mandate is that, like, yeah, like, a a majority of that food has to be bought locally from Quebec, which um, minimizes the distance that it has to travel, right? Um, It also helps, like, Quebec farmers, obviously. Yeah. Um, And the half of it, well, I wrote vegetarian, but it's, like, the the word is, like, vegetal, so it's, like... Vegetalion? No, but just, like, made of vegetables. Oh, plant-based. Plant-based, yeah. Um, So, you know, it's not, like... It's not like half of the meals that people eat have to be, like, every second meal is, like, vegetarian. It's just that half the food that they buy has to be vegetables. Like, not meat, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is part of their uh, push to um, promote farming vegetables instead of meat because... Yeah, and also farming plants is not just farming vegetables. Yeah, sorry. It's grains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of that. Plants. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because it's better for the environment. Um, they want to help farmers reduce pesticide use and achieve carbon neutrality um, and encourage a transition from meat production to, like, plant production, um, as we were just saying. Um, they also want to, f- like, find new ways 
to give aid to farmers to help with the effect of climate change because climate change is currently ravaging the planet and will only continue to. Yeah. And so they're the only party that I know of that has like a plan to actually like help farmers deal with that problem. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And also to help and also to offer them more psychosocial support because there's like really high rates of suicide. Um, It's like pretty bleak out there to be a farmer. Damn. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people are quite isolated, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it's like, it's hard to make ends meet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So they also want to make it harder for agricultural land to be turned into housing and facilitate urban farming and individual gardening. Um, they want to create a network of publicly owned slaughterhouses and biofood processing centers to support the production and processing of foods with a low ecological footprint, particularly vegetable proteins. I honestly think reading the stuff, um, so I'm the resident vegan here, so I think reading the stuff about um, things that have to do with like whether or not we're eating animals or like how much we're eating animals, I... I can just see people getting mad about this on both sides, right? right? Like, on the one hand, I'm sure there's so many people who are, like, rolling their eyes dramatically about the idea of 50% of the food being plant-based, you know? Because mm. they're just like, this is an attack on my meat-eating rights or whatever, yeah. you know? It's like, or whatever. They're, like, weirdly associate acknowledging that, like, the um, the factory farming, like, industries play a role in climate change like they associate that acknowledging that with like woke shit right you know right. like hysterical woke shit but yeah. i'm like it's literally just true mm. um it's a fact mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and also but then on the other hand you know talking about slaughterhouses i can see the vegans getting very upset um right. and i'm like you know whatever i really am for having like reasonable um ways forward with this and i guess you know um the next one is eliminate the most ethically problematic practices in meat production, Mm -hmm. which I really do appreciate this, you know, because it's like, personally, like factory farming is horrifying to me, both, you know, obviously because of its impact on climate, but also because of the ethical atrocities that happen towards sentient beings in there. Um, but lots of people eat meat and that's probably going to continue to be the case, but I think that we can have a lot more of a responsible relationship to it both in terms of climate and also in terms of acknowledging the kinds of cruelty, unnecessary cruelty that is going on yeah. in the in the killing of animals. Totally. And it's like if Quebec Solidaire was like, uh, we're going to make it so that Quebec is vegan, they would get approximately zero votes. Exactly. Um, and that would not be good for the left, you know? Exactly. So it's like much better for them to say, you know, we're going to um, make it easier for farmers to grow plants and yeah. then sell them. And like this like bio food processing centers thing yeah. is like basically saying that like farmers can just grow a bunch of plants and just like dump it on the government and the government will fucking take care of it and turn it into products that can be sold. You right. know? Um, I'm oversimplifying massively, but that's basically like the, the gist of it is trying to make it easier for people to switch to, to farming vegetables. Yeah. And, and there's and a lot plants. of things in here that are helping us transition to a diet that is not so dependent on animal products. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that is like the direction that we absolutely do need to be moving in. But I think that we can do that in a non-hysterical way on all sides. Yeah. Hopefully. You yeah. know? No, totally. Um, and then finally, they want to encourage union representation for farm workers. Absolutely. Very important. Which leads to the next section, which is about wealth inequality. So they have some cool shit here too. Um, they want to, well, obviously they're socialists. So they want way higher taxes for very profitable companies and very wealthy individuals, including capital gains taxes and inheritance taxes. Yes. So, yeah, basically if you, you know, if you leave a gigantic inheritance to your 
very wealthy, privileged offspring. The government will take a little snip snip. Um, they want to combat tax evasion and tax havens. They're just like coming out and saying it. They're like, if you do business in Quebec, like you owe us fucking money and mm-hmm. you're not allowed to hide it in the Bahamas. Um, they want, this is a cool one. They want to implement a maximum wage for the public sector and for crown corporations which is like a publicly owned corporation um, and for any business that receives aid from the state. So any business that's getting like a, you know, grants and like, like, you know, special subsidies and whatever from the state has to abide by this new maximum wage. Right. Which is fucking hilarious and dope. Um, And it's a way to just make sure that like the people at the top are not making like insane amounts, insane amounts of money while people at the bottom are making Mm -hmm. much less. Um, they want to abolish unconditional government aid to large companies. So, you know, if, yeah, again, like if the government is giving you grants and stuff and subsidies, then the government will then be allowed to basically tell the corporation what to do in a much bigger way, which is a really good idea from my perspective as a socialist, right? Because I'm like, um, basically, if the, if the state is subsidizing a corporation, it's sort of like it's, it's like becoming like a shareholder, right? you know, and shareholders are they have a vote. Yeah. You know? And so the state should definitely be able to direct the economy in that way if they need to. Um, They want to implement a single income tax return managed by Quebec and not Ottawa, which people probably outside of Quebec don't care about. But right now we have to pay like two income taxes, one to Quebec, one to Ottawa. It's very annoying. Um, I don't know how Ottawa would feel about that. I have really no idea if that's even allowed. (laughs) (laughs) But Quebec Solidarity, they don't care. Um, and they want to increase the ability of municipalities to collect their own taxes, um, which helps cities have like more money to play with, which means they can, you know, build like better public transit, all that kind of stuff. All right. So for, we're just going to talk about a couple for families and social connection. Um, one is recognize daycare as a fundamental right, regardless of immigration status and expand the network of public daycares. Super fucking important. Really important. Really crazy that this is not already a thing. This is one of those things like dental where I'm kind of like the idea that we're even talking about this, the bar is so fucking low. Mm -hmm. It's like, obviously people like the way that the capitalism is set up is that it's like people have to work. Like Mm -hmm. the time you get off work to have a child is like laughable Mm -hmm. yet you have children um, who are not yet in school, who need a place, they need to go somewhere. <laughs> like, where do you want them to go, right? Yeah. Um, it doesn't make any sense. So, obviously, like, there needs to be a place for people to put their kids um, while they're working if you expect them to be working, you know? Yeah. And so, like, in Quebec, we already have public daycares. Okay. They're, like, really cheap. Um, but they want to recognize it as a right. So it's like if you don't, if there isn't one near you, like they will like make one. You and know? also regardless of immigration status. Yes. So they will not be checking anyone's status. Like, yeah. it's, and that means you know, yeah, like if you don't have status here, your kid can still be taken care of because it's not your fucking kid's fault. You know, yeah, absolutely. which I think is like very compassionate and. And then another one, which I think is really important too, is phase out the private sector in elder care and nationalize um, all old age homes. Um, there's also in order to give elderly people a choice to live at home, to introduce subsidies for intergenerational homes and the renovation of homes to make them accessible. Mm -hmm. Those two things together, I think are really fucking important. I think especially after fucking COVID and the atrocities that we saw with people, you know, dying alone in, um, what do they call them here? CHSLDs. Yeah. So that's basically like where elders go to be taken care of in old age because Mm -hmm. capitalism makes it so hard for people to take care of their elders Mm -hmm. and you know there was just like atrocities during covid of people just like you know just absolute so much death and and so much suffering and it's really fucking hard because i think for so many people you know 
Um, they don't want to necessarily put their parents into a place like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea of like, you know, remodeling their home to like make sure that it, it like their parent can get up and down the stairs or like out the front yeah, door so if they're having like, like mobility issues, yeah. you know? And so like giving people subsidies and like help with that kind of stuff would be great. And also phasing out the private sector so that like you can't like, that should be part of healthcare and it should be, covered by the government and mm-hmm. it should not be something that people are making profits off of because once that starts happening things get sketchy because yeah. people who are making profits are always trying to maximize their profits and so they're always cutting corners and doing whatever makes them the most money not what necessarily is the best for the human beings who are supposedly under their care absolutely and like again during covid like we saw some really horrible scenes in like the public um mm-hmm. old age homes but we saw, like, really fucked up stuff in the private ones. Yeah. Because there's, there's a couple of these private ones, right? And, like, in some of them, like, all the workers just, like, left. Yeah. Because the conditions were so fucked. And then there was, like, people just, like, like literally just, like, dying in their Awful. own filth in, like, abandoned buildings that, like, no one was taking care of, you know? And that was happening in the private sector, right? So, yeah, we definitely want to avoid that ever happening again. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and I mean, I'm just let's mention one more on this because it's interesting and it's related. Like, um, they want to create a way for people who care for family members full time to be recognized as workers mm. and to have like like the the rights that come with being a worker. You know, yeah. um, which I think is really cool. There's not a lot of details on that, but um, they're they're thinking about that and thinking about ways to make it so that like you have like uh, a guaranteed income and so forth if you are spending your time caring for someone, right? Like a family member, you know, because that work. Like is work, yeah. And if you weren't doing it, the Someone state else, the state would be doing exactly. it in some way. You Someone know? would have to get paid to do it. So, um, so might as well pay you. you yeah. Know? So that's very cool. Um, moving on to social and health services. Um, so you know, Quebec is part of Canada, which means it has public health care. Um, however, public health care in Canada has been getting eaten away at by the government, the various governments, for years and years and years to the point where it is kind of, like, in collapse. Yeah. Um, it's, it's extremely like, fucked up right now. It's, like, really hard to get a doctor slash, like, almost impossible, like, to get, like, a family doctor, I mean, you know? Um, ER wait times are, like, really, really long. Um, it's, like, really difficult to, if you just, like, you have, like, a cough or something and you want to, like, get it checked out. Like, there, it's, like, you can't. It's yeah. just, like, if you, if you, like, break your leg, you know, and an ambulance brings you to a hospital, you'll get seen. But, like, yeah. If it's anything, like, that's not, like, super dramatic, it's, like, really hard to get seen right now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, lots of people have different ideas about how to deal with this problem. But um, I think Quebec Solidaire definitely has some good ones. And I just want to say before we get into this that, like, I think it's so important because to, to just say this outright. That, like, right now, because the healthcare system you know, in various provinces in Canada is so fucking abysmal. Like, it's, like, really fucking bad. Um, there's some people when this happens who immediately go to, okay, well, it looks like, you know, people who have private healthcare have better healthcare. So like, why are we even doing this? You know? Mm-hmm. And this is exactly what they want. What they want. Yeah. They fucking, they collect our taxes. They fucking underfund, 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 underfund our healthcare mm-hmm. for fucking years and years and years. You know, they do not radically invest in it during an, a pandemic, you know, mm-hmm. they completely deprioritize it 
to the level that is like actually kind of like human, criminal, like it's criminal human rights violations, you know? Yeah. Um, that if anything, like there should be like massive push for like investment in healthcare right now, but the healthcare is still all totally fucked up. And so like the answer is not privatization, you know, and that just needs to be very, very clear. Like the answer is massive investment in healthcare as like a fundamental human right, you know? And I also want to say that, like, it wasn't always like this, Yeah, you know? And yeah, even in, like, my lifetime, like, I'm not from Quebec, but, like, it's also getting bad in Ontario where I'm from. And, like, it didn't used to be like this. Like, we used to be able to depend on healthcare in a way that now feels unthinkable. And to me, that is just fucking insane. Like, it's absolutely insane that it's gotten this bad. Um, and so we definitely need um, a government that is radically and intentionally investing in healthcare. Yeah, yeah. So basically in Quebec, we used to have this institution called a CLSC and it was a local public clinic. Um, it had doctors, you know, there was like one in every neighborhood and you could go there if, it, if you had some kind of issue that wasn't like a crazy emergency, you know? Um, but it was like expensive and it was like hard, you know, it was like logistically like difficult and whatever. So a previous government basically like got rid of the CLSC system more or less and kind of rolled all those services into these like super hospitals and they built these giant hospitals, awesome. you know? Um, and then, you know, just like cut funding to everything. <laughs> and, you know, the result of that is that no one has a fucking doctor. If you're sick, you have to go wait in an emergency room for like 24 hours and like, yeah, it like really sucks. So one of the things that Quebec Solidaire wants to do is bring back the CLSCs. They want to make them the center of the healthcare system. So have a vast network of local public clinics that are open 24-7 every day and staffed by multidisciplinary teams that include doctors. So you can go there and you can see a fucking doctor. It's honestly um, such a great idea. Yeah. And it's like, I remember when CLSCs were like totally accessible. Yeah. It, like wasn't that long ago, you know? Yeah. And like, if you were sick, you could go see a fucking doctor. Yeah. Which is very important. Yeah. Um, they also want to invest massively in prevention, including effective alternatives to medication and invasive medical procedures. This is such, so important. And like, it's a personal passion of mine. I know, me too. And like, it's crazy that it's not like obvious policy, you know? Yeah. Because just, you know, for, for people who are always like the bottom line, you know, it's like, I'm sorry, but letting people get so fucking sick is more expensive than helping people to prevent themselves from getting sick. And it's like, obviously we should care about this from a human rights angle, you know, and the quality of life angle. But if what people really fucking care about is the bottom line, then just simply it literally is less expensive to give people access to screening, you know, cancer screening, health checks, you know, doing blood work on them, doing like physicals to make sure that nothing weird is going on so that you can intervene on things quickly, Mm -hmm. you know, also giving them access to like comprehensive, um, education about nutrition Dietitians, and like, like what what we need to do to be healthy, you know, um, doing all of these things and giving people this preventative kind of approach to health literally not only would, would save so many lives and increase the quality of so many lives, but it also would take a lot of pressure off the healthcare system in terms of like the really serious end of things where people now have, you know, cancer or like serious medical conditions that have gotten way worse than they needed to because they weren't able to access preventative medicine. So I strongly believe in that. And I really appreciate that they said massively invest in. Yeah. Because like, yeah, the fact of the matter is that like, if I have something like wrong with me, like, okay, like here's an example of something I do have wrong with me. Like my knees hurt all the time, you know? 
I got like a kind of injury, like running on a treadmill like a year ago or something. And my knees hurt, you know? And like now when I go for a jog, like I can't, like it hurts too much, you know? And it's like in an ideal world, like I could go fucking get that checked out maybe, you know? But I fucking, I don't know how. There's like no way for me to go get that checked out right now, you know? And like, yeah. And what that means, unfortunately, is that very likely in like 10 fucking years, like I'm going to have some sort of like fucked up like issue with my knees and it's going to cost like a ton of money and I'm going to have surgery and like blah, 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 you know, and all that could probably be avoided if I could go talk to somebody right now who would tell me to like, I don't know, buy like a different kind of shoe or like some shit, right. you know? Totally. Um, and, but there's tons of examples like that that anyone can think of, you know? Yeah. Um, absolutely. And so, yeah, the next one, which I'm also a huge fan of is make all health services public and free. Oh, including mental health and dental. And so I was just ranting about this on Instagram today about how like the idea of free dental being like radical is like absurd and laughable to me. Yeah. And like your teeth are your, they're, they're a part of your body. Fucking bones. At what point did we decide that dental was like some kind of weird luxury kind of medicine. Mm -hmm. Having teeth is relatively quite important. And also like infections, like dental infections and that kind of stuff obviously affects the rest of your health. Like it's absurd and weird. And yeah, on my Instagram, I was just ranting about how like we um, are like teeth are considered a luxury (laughs) while people are running around in yachts and this and that. Like I'm just like, and this is actually another perfect example of what I was just talking about because a lot of people like they can't afford to go to the dentist. They don't. And then they just, they're like, Oh, well it hurts, but maybe it'll go away by itself. And then it fucking doesn't. And then six years later they show up at the ER with like a fucking infection, like going into their fucking like eye cavity. Exactly. You know? And And it's also like just getting your teeth cleaned like at the dentist is supposed to be, like, that's preventative medicine. Like, yeah. you're supposed to be able to go get your teeth cleaned. Yeah. And that's not just for rich people. That's absurd. Yeah. You know? Um, so, yes. And then also the mental health thing. Yeah. So, my whole fucking thing constantly is, like, people are constantly, like, you know... Like, I'm just, like, we have never tried giving people access to therapy. We don't know what that would do to all our social problems if the many, many, many traumatized people in the world had fucking free access to therapy. Yeah. You know? And, like... I'm nodding sadly. It's, like, really, really serious and really major, and, like, people need access to therapy. And it's absurd that it costs money. It's absurd. Um, So the next one is offer free quality services to disabled people, including care and accompaniment for their entire lifetimes. Mm -hmm. Very important. Um, create a universal public pharma insurance plan. Yeah. So basically like medication would be part of your public insurance. Yeah. I think that people are like, yay, like Canada has free healthcare, but then it's like, we don't have dental or like we can find out what's wrong, but we can't get meds for it. Yeah. (laughs) Like that's absurd. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, like our meds are like way cheaper than in the States usually, but uh, yeah, basically they want to make it so that there's just like a public insurance plan. Um, for all pharma stuff and fucking really cool. One of my favorite things that they want to do is they want to set up an institution called pharma Quebec, which would be a public institution, um, that would allow the local and publicly owned production of vaccines, generic medications and healthcare equipment. So basically they would just be like, Oh cool. You have invented a new medication for treating like HIV. Sweet. We're going to appropriate that like recipe and we're going to make it here. We're going to make a generic version of it. You can go fuck yourself. And we're going to give it to people for next to free because the entire purpose of medication is to give to sick people. Um, and yeah, there's already countries that do this. India has like a huge, uh, generic, 
um, medication production industry. Um, and as for the vaccines, obviously, like, you know, my my whole thing around, like, the COVID vaccine was I was just like, it's, like, absolutely insane that we're not producing these ourselves. And that instead we're, like, just paying, like, just absolutely enormous amounts of money to these American corporations. Yeah, it's absolutely For bonkers. these vaccines. And it's, like, like, it's not like we don't have the fucking, like, know-how to make a fucking vaccine. You and know? it's absolutely fucking bonkers. Like, I'm like, imagine if we had had something like this for COVID. I know. You know? I know. So... And then raise the healthcare budget and create a law protecting it from cuts. Yeah. Um, I really love that. I've proposed this, like, well, just propose it to anyone. I've just ranted about it, like, a bunch of times. But I'm sort of like, this should make a law saying you're not allowed to cut the fucking healthcare budget I mean, anymore, obviously. you know? And, like, that's what they want to do. They basically, I don't know how exactly they want to do it, but they want to, like, pro- maybe just, like, add it into, like, yeah, just make a law being, like, if you want to, if you want to, like, cut the healthcare budget, you're going to have to repeal this law first, yeah. you know what I mean? Which makes everyone, everyone will be, be able to notice that you're fucking doing it, yeah, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Which I think is really important because, yeah, they're just constantly trying to cut it. Um, yeah, moving on to public education. They want to immediately eliminate all fees for all levels of education from daycare to high school, including adult ed and professional development. So, like, just straight off the bat, fir- first day that they are in office, there's just absolutely no more cost for any level of education up to post-secondary. For post-secondary, they want to gradually eliminate fees for post-secondary as well, with the ultimate goal of making it completely free. They're basically, they say gradually because they're not going to do that on the first day because it's going to be a bit more complicated. But like in, during the course of their term, they want to eliminate fees for post-secondary education, Mm -hmm. which is fucking dope. They want to gradually abolish public funding for private schools, which I love because I think the concept of private schools is like really problematic. Um, and yeah, they want to hire more teachers so there's fewer students per class, um, which I think is great as well. Um, they want to create another law protecting uh, school budgets from cuts, mm-hmm. which is fucking dope. Um, yeah, they want to create like a huge infrastructure project to renovate, enlarge, and modernize schools. A lot of the schools are fucking falling apart in Quebec, man. Like the the high school I went to in Gatineau was like a mess. Um, more aid for university students, um, and they want to update curricula to reflect indigenous realities, which I also think is really important. Um, because often the way the history is taught here is that basically, like, we showed up, um, we were really cool with the natives, and then the English showed up, and they were very bad, right? And they oppressed everyone. Right. <laughs> and in Ontario, they don't even tell us about the French. <laughs> So, sorry about that. Okay, so we're just going to say a couple from their um, arts and culture policies. One is to create a plan to stabilize the income of artists and autonomous cultural workers, which is cool. Um, And to regulate the price of new books and mandate that a certain percentage of revenue goes to authors. I think you just got us to say this to, to shout out, like... The writers among us. Yeah, I don't know. I just think it's funny. They're they're like there's definitely like someone in like high up in Quebec Solidaire who's like a writer. Yeah, I mean it is true though. It's like honestly, like I um, mainly self published, which is how I managed to live off of my work. But it's like pretty unusual and crazy what I do. And like I have a book with a press and like I just got my royalties check and like not you know I'm not like super famous and like it's not like it's like it's not a huge press but like I got my royalties check and it was $50 right you know what I mean like this kind of thing where like writers are getting you know because a lot of writers who put out work regularly are not like huge bestseller writers and they're making like a little tiny bit of money Mm -hmm. I mean presses also need more support etc but um 
yeah, it would be cool for the government to try to support cultural workers. That'd be awesome. Yeah, and I think part of it definitely too is that they're trying to foster like an independent Quebec like like literary scene, mm-hmm. you know, and be like make make sure that like writers in Quebec, especially writers writing in French, I think, are like actually able to like make ends meet. You mm-hmm. know? Um. Okay, so. Social inequality and income stability. So this is some interesting stuff in here, too. Um, Public universal retirement with a universal minimum pension. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously for most people in North America, I think, um, or pretty much everyone, it's like you're supposed to be paying into, like, some kind of thing called, like, a pension. I don't even know. I don't know. I've never been gainfully employed long enough um, (laughs) at anything like approaching a salary that would make sense for me to do that. So I don't know how it works, but apparently boomers did it. Right. Um, they have something called a retirement fund or a pension or some shit. Um, uh, but it's basically tied to like your jobs that you've held and like this like wacky idea of having like a job for your whole life right. that then like provides Doesn't, you with a pension. It's not a thing anymore. Um, it's not a thing. So they want to create a universal retirement universal minimum pension. I think that that's amazing. Yeah. Um, they want to immediately raise the minimum wage to $14, or sorry, $18 Canadian, um, and then raise it again soon. Um, so basically, yeah, it's again, it's like on the first day they would raise it to 18 and then they would like consider raising it higher. Um, uh, they want to cut public transit ticket costs by 50% and gradually make transit yes. free. Make it free, um, which I think is fucking dope. So yeah, cut it in half, make it free. I love that. Um, they want to decriminalize the possession of all drugs and abolish imprisonment as a penalty for the non-payment of fines. Amazing. Yeah. Um, very important. Um, and increase financing of programs aimed at crime prevention and rehabilitation. I'm like, thank you fucking obviously. Um, this is much more useful than putting people in jail. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So under work, we have reformed labor laws to guarantee a minimum of 10 paid days off a year, at least one unpaid holiday off per month, and four weeks of vacation per year. I'm like, man, I'm like, we could even do better than this, but it's pretty bleak right now, so I'll take it. Yeah, because I think right now you're guaranteed two weeks off a year. Yeah. Um, if you work full time all, yeah. <laughs> all the way around the year. You know, and, like, in the debates and stuff, people have been, like, making fun of Quebec Solidaire for proposing this, and he's just like, bro, like, people this is, like, not crazy, off. you know? I know. It's absolutely insane that we're expected to work nonstop constantly. Yeah. Um, introduce a 35-hour work week for the same salary as the 40-hour work week. Great. Moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, facilitate work from home. Facilitate the creation of co-ops. Facilitate unionization by ceasing government aid to companies experiencing labor conflict, making lockouts illegal, making it more possible for public sector workers to strike, pledging no, not to use special laws to force public sector workers back to work in case of conflict, banning the use of temp agencies in the healthcare system, and reducing their use in other sectors, and limiting the abuse of the independent contractor classification by employers. All of this is great, and I think that it's like, it's very, like, specific, mm-hmm. and we need to actually... Because what it's getting at is, like, the various ways that people sneak around. Yeah. Um, like, laws that are meant to protect workers and, and workers' rights to organize, you know? Yeah. And there's, like, various ways that basically employers do this now where they find ways of just kind of going around it mm-hmm. um, and not giving their workers the rights that workers are supposed to have. And so these are, like, some strategies... Um, to prevent them from doing that. For sure. And this also just gives you a glimpse of what it would look like to have a government that is, like, made up of people who are themselves workers. Yeah. You know? Like, people who have been in labor conflicts on the side of workers, not the side of the bosses, you know? Yeah. Because those people have an understanding of what it would 
like what would be useful for workers in those circumstances. Um, and then they created a political party to try to, you know, enforce that in, in a legal way. Um, because right now, as we know, the state is completely captured by the capitalist class. And yeah. So these kinds of protections um, are either non-existent or often like reduced as much as possible by the, by the governing parties. Um, yeah, to continue, uh, they also want to protect the labor rights of digital workers, so trying to like update things for the, uh, the modern era. Um, they want to amend anti-scab legislation to include all employers, because apparently now it doesn't, um, and they want to enlarge the workplace safety regime, so just making it like easier for workers to demand like um, various kinds of workplace safety um, mm-hmm. stuff and like to sue if they're injured and like that kind of thing. Um, the, yeah, so I don't know, all that is really cool. I think that it's like, we, we like rarely, rarely hear about policy stuff that is actually focused on the job site as the site of struggle, Mm you know? Um, but we should remember that that is like the backbone of socialism, Mm -hmm. the backbone of the left. It's something that benefits like nearly everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, and we should all be like really stoked about that stuff. Um, they have a relatively bold housing plan. They want to build 50,000 units of green social housing with a particular focus on providing access to housing to indigenous people. Um, they want to protect renters by introducing mandatory control on rental costs, improving building inspections and protecting against, uh, what they call rent evictions and abusive evictions. So Quebec actually already has like pretty good, um, protection for tenants. Much better than Ontario. Yeah. Um, like it's like, you know, like if my landlord wants to raise the rent on me, like I can say no. Yeah. Which is like like, mind blowing to people in a lot of places. Yeah. Um, I can say no, and then if he really wants to, he can, like, take me to, like, a special kind of court, and, like, then the court can, like, look at all the documents and consider, like, how much he's, like, allowed to raise the rent. It's, like, very small amount, and it often is not worth their while to even, like, do this, because um, they have to pay the, the fees. You don't have to pay anything, um, just as an example. But, yeah, so they want to make it even, you know, to mm-hmm. have it so that tenants are even um, more protected in Quebec, which I think is great. Um, they want to try to favor non-market means of accessing housing, such as land trusts and housing co-ops. This is another really cool thing. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, as, like, a socialist, I would love if they were just like, we're going to abolish landlords, you know? Um, but as, like, a political party that's trying to get elected, course, you yeah. know, they, they can't really come out and say that. But by just saying, you know, that they're going to try to favor these non-market means, they're really, like, they're signaling that they're, like, looking in that direction, you know? Mm-hmm. They're like, what are some ways that we can take housing off of the market and, like, yeah. ha- like have it not be this thing that is so attached to your ability to pay, you know, mm-hmm. um, and to find other ways of, of providing people with housing, which I think is, like, super, super important and really exciting. Um... They want to, yeah, make it harder to uh, do, like, Airbnb stuff for tourists because it drives the prices of housing up. Um, And they want to control the ownership of housing by foreign investors and financial enterprises. Just make it harder for uh, big corporations and, like, wealthy people to just, like, own all the housing. And we can't forget, they want to ban rental clauses from forbidding pets. (laughs) true so i'm just saying it's pretty yeah. fucking cool yes they want to make yeah so you can you can always have a pet and honestly thank you on behalf of clover <laughs> thank you no but it's actually really important because like a lot of people have animals and it's like fucking really hard to actually access housing if you have an animal mm-hmm. and it's like on the lease of like the majority of places that you're like not allowed to have an animal but people literally do have animals and they need a place to live so i yeah. absolutely 
Love it. Yeah, wait. There's one last thing which I think is cool. They've done this in a couple cities in Europe, I know. Um, I'm sure like it's it's been done in a bunch of places, but it's it's a cool thing, which is to introduce a tax on vacant housing, which in, mm. incentivizes owners to either rent it or sell it. And like what happens now is that a lot of like owners they can just like put the rent like too high, and then if no one right. jumps, they just like wait until people are desperate enough, and then someone jumps, yeah. and then they get it. So this would be like, well, if you want to do that, you're gonna have to pay tax on it. So it and they're not making money off of it, obviously, because right. they're renting it, so they're, so, paying, so yeah. they're losing money. So that forces them to like just fucking give it to someone, um, which makes it so that there's less housing sitting empty. Sitting empty. Yeah, yeah that's really important. Um, so they also want to lower the voting age in Quebec to 16. This is under their democracy and decentralization, um, which we're not going to get into everything for the interest of time, but we wanted to talk about this one because honestly, I'm so about this. I think that the voting age should be lowered to 16 everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually feel very strongly about this because first of all, you know, you can get a fucking driver's license at 16. If you're allowed to drive around in a machine that can kill people, you're, you should be fucking allowed to vote. Um, and also like, Climate change disproportionately affects youth. Sorry. Like, the youth are the people who are looking forward at their lives with, like, this huge fucking thing living over them, you know? And who potentially are not going to be able to grow old in the way that we grew up expecting that we would be able to. I mean, we're even looking at that, but people who are very young... um, it's very daunting, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think that we really need to be encouraging young people to get politically involved and have young people's interests heard, um, especially on the issue of climate change. And so I absolutely believe in lowering the voting age to 16. Yeah. And yeah, like in Quebec, you know, um, you can join the reserves at 16. Um, our, our high school goes to grade 11. So you graduate when you're 16, you can get married when you're 16. You know, it's like, all like 16 is like the age of adulthood in like many different areas, you know? So it makes sense to lower the voting age. And I'm like, what, you don't think a 16 year old can like think through like a political like platform and like consider it thoughtfully? Like, of course they can. Yeah. Um, one, one other thing from this section that I didn't, uh, see before, but it was pretty cool is give, they want to give permanent residents the right to vote in municipal elections. Oh, yeah. So cool. like, you don't have to be a citizen to vote in a municipal election, which I think is cool because it gives people the right to have some say in how like their immediate environment is being, um, administered. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. There's a bunch of cool stuff about first nations. Um, in, yeah, like Quebec Solidaire has like from the start been really interested in trying to like involve First Nations people and First Nations communities in their decision making processes and uh, and trying to sort of like make Quebec sovereignty be something that is associated with like also the sovereignty of First Nations people mm-hmm. on the territory of Quebec, right? Um, so they want to seek the clear and informed consent and participation of Indigenous nations with regard to all projects taking place in their land. So, you know, let's say if they want to build, like, a new dam or, like, build, like, uh, windmills or whatever, they would want to have, like, they would want to be done, like, in collaboration and not just, like, be, like, forced upon mm-hmm. the people who um, are the owners or traditional owners of the land. They want to um, initiate, like, nation-to-nation relations on all matters of development, which is, you know, basically a, another way of saying what I just said. Um and matters of conservation and resource extraction. Um, so yeah, just more ways of giving First Nations people like more power over the land that they that they live on. Um, they want to devolve a number of powers to First Nations, including youth protection. 
um, mm. and ensure that all necessary training is provided. Yeah. So, like, right now in Canada, also in the U.S., you know, there's been, like, a big problem where a lot of times in, like, you know, small, remote, and sometimes quite dysfunctional communities that have been, like, ravaged by colonialism and capitalism, like, there's, like, very high rates of, like, child abuse and so on. And, you know, the state you know, is tasked with protecting those kids, right? And so often what happens is that, like, white or just, like, settler social workers who are working in those communities, like, you know, take those kids, remove them from their families, and they end up being adopted, like, Yeah, and removed from their, like, cultural context. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, which, you know, um, if it's done, you know, now and again is one thing, but if it's done on, like, a very frequent basis, it can amount to, like, a form of cultural genocide, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there's been a lot of discourse around this in Canada, and I think it makes a lot of sense to devolve youth protection stuff to those communities. Absolutely. Um, especially if, like, the training is being provided and, like... And the funding. Any, any sort of, like, gaps are being filled, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so help protect indigenous languages by financing programs t- to teach them to youth. Super fucking important. Super important. Language protection stuff is super fucking important. This also has... I mean, I don't have any studies in front of me, but I know studies have been done that just show, like, the, f- the outcomes on people's, like their mental health and well-being and their, like, resilience to, like, not having fucked up shit happen to them in their lives Mm -hmm. is highly increased when they are given access to cultural knowledge and and language. Yeah, it's, like, really well correlated. Yeah, Yeah. and so it's documented, it's been researched. Um, Taking people's language away from them is a surefire way to put them at risk to a whole bunch of shit and investing in cultural revitalization and, um, helping to keep languages alive is a really good way to help people, um, be healthy and well. So not to mention also like communities and culture. So definitely super for that. And I think it's also like, it's a fucking loss for, for everyone. Like we can't just be having whole languages like disappear and die out. It's a loss to literally like humankind, you know, like we, Languages are full of information about different ways that people, like, have seen and related to the world, you know? And letting them die out is an atrocity. So, mm-hmm. fund the languages. Mm-hmm. Um, take action with regard to Indigenous children who died in residential schools by ensuring that all former sites are searched and support families in setting up any commemorative events they wish. So, horrifying and disturbing, um, but this is a big reality in Canada where... Um, basically like mass graves of children are being found at residential schools. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of families who don't know what happened to people in their family, to children who were in those schools. And so there absolutely needs to be, um, action taken on this so that people can know what happened, um, to their family members. Um, make September 30th, truth and reconciliation day, provincial holiday, um, and adopt, Joyce's principle to ensure equal and non-discriminatory access to social and healthcare services for indigenous people. Yeah. So basically it's like a, um, it's named after a woman who died in a, in a hospital, um, because basically because she was being treated in like a discriminatory manner. Um, and it was really fucked up and dark. And unfortunately it's a real reality, especially in like rural hospitals in Quebec, but also in Montreal, I saw it a lot when I was working, um, as a shelter worker and I would do accompaniments, um, with like homeless people to the hospital and stuff. And like the way that like indigenous people, um, particularly indigenous homeless people, right. were treated in these hospitals was often like really, um, dramatically fucked up and finding ways to ensure equal and non-discriminatory access to healthcare, um, is a really important 
program that I think that we should be mm-hmm. like really investing a lot of uh, energy and money into. Yeah. Um, that's most of the stuff that we wanted to talk about. Um, I'm going to say like one last one because I think it's hilarious. They want to, um, <laughs> they want to abolish the requirement to swear an oath to the British crown um, and replace it with an oath to the people of Quebec. Um, Cause they're like, like what the fuck, you know? And actually like in the, in the debate, you know, uh, there was like a debate like two nights ago um, between the leaders, you know, and they were talking about like, they're like, would you like, would you like swear allegiance to the crown or whatever? And like all the political parties, except the liberals were just sort of like, what are you talking about? This is 2022. Like, of course not, you know, right. which I think is like so funny because like, Quebec is just like so different from the rest of Canada in this. Like, we're just like, absolutely not. Like we don't care about these like ancient British vampires. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So that was just basically a very short skimming over of, um, the, the longer platform, but I'm wondering if maybe we could somehow put the English version. Oh, you have it, right? Oh, you put it on your Instagram. It's on my Instagram, but I can put it on the, um, I can put it on the Patreon. Yeah. Let's put it on the Patreon for free so that anyone who's listening to this, who might want to read through like the longer version can read through it and take a look at it. Um, we're gonna try to get this episode out before the election. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the election, if you are in Quebec and you're like, huh, this is all very interesting. I'm interested in voting. Um, it's October 3rd, mm-hmm. so it's coming up fast. So, you know, uh, get out there and vote. Yeah. And um, for everybody else who's not in Quebec or um, who's just, you know, been listening to this, I hope that you can maybe see this as like an opportunity to start thinking like both creatively and specifically about policy. And I actually think that like regular people, like whether or not you are out here writing policy, I think you should be thinking about this because it helps to build your capacity to consider policy that is being presented to you. Yeah. Right. Because so often, like one of the things that Jay and I complain about all the time is that political campaigns are just, like, photos of people's faces. Yeah. And then it just has the political party. Yeah. And it's absurd. Like, I don't know anything about what you're actually suggesting. Yeah. And we don't have good, like, political literacy where voters are actually encouraged to, like, carefully read platforms and to consider what they actually would mean for people, right? Yeah. And so I think this is a good practice to actually get into doing that and to actually consider policies. And then who knows? Maybe there's some among us who are actually, like, looking into doing that kind of work, policy development kind of work, running for political parties, et cetera. And if you are, then I hope that this also can be inspiring um, for thinking concretely about how do we take our principles and our values and our politics and actually translate them into policy and making decisions on a material level to benefit human beings and also the environment. Yeah, totally. And I guess one other takeaway or like this kind of like a, a couple of takeaways that I want people to have from this is like, you know... I want you to remember that this is a political party that, you know, got a sixth of the vote in the last election. Um, and this is like, you know, in a political context where there's like five or six different political parties. So it's yeah. not, that's not nothing. You know? Yeah. Um, so they're like a real political party. They have seats in the assembly. You yeah. know, they, they are able to influence what is happening in Quebec. And indeed, like their, their like hardcore commitment to environmentalist issues I think has like dramatically pushed all the other parties to the left on environmental stuff, you know, because, um, environmentalism is like the most important political issue for about 30% of Quebecers in the last poll I saw. Um, so people are voting 
primarily based on, you know, this issue. And yes. so if you have Quebec Solid Air there on the left being like, we're going to like fucking, you know, make the St. Lawrence a legal person and we're going to like create wildlife corridors throughout all of Quebec and stuff. The other political parties can't just be like, uh, we're not going to do anything, you know? Yeah, exactly. Because people won't fucking vote for them. Yeah. They'll vote for Quebec Solid Air. And so you know? it pushes the window because it's like, even if you're like, even if they're not going to go that far left, it's like, it, it makes them have to go a bit further left. It makes them have to be more environmental than they would have been. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say that like Quebec Solid Air, Probably is not going to win this election, mm-hmm. but they have a chance of winning the, election, the next one. You know, they've, they've been steadily increasing their share. They're getting more and more professional, sharper and sharper. Um, and I think that it's a good template for leftists and the rest of North America to follow. And remember that these policy proposals are not so radical and so insane that no one would ever vote for them. People do vote for them in Quebec. You know? Yeah. Um, and they could be, like, adapted for other jurisdictions as well. Absolutely. You know? Um I feel like there was something else I wanted to say, but I forget what it was. So okay, maybe we'll leave it there. Okay. Well, thank you guys for listening. Um, and we hope that you feel inspired to start strategizing for a less bleak future. Yeah. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. <laughs> Perfect. I was hoping you would. That's why I was sort of drawing that out. Yeah. Um, I just also want people to compare and contrast this with <laughs> the federal Green Party that we were talking about oh, at right. the beginning. Oh, right. Of course, you know? of course. Because it's like, notice how none of this is like a recipe for how to implode based on identitarian, like, recordism. Yeah. You know, like, Quebec Solidaire has like, what I find to be very like, judicious and straight ahead and like, clear um, understandings about, you know, anti-racism and, you know, commitments to end, like, homophobia and sexism and stuff like that without making that the entire basis of their platform, without, you know, centering it at the expense of everything else, without, like, alienating people with, like, crazy lingo that no one understands, you know, they're trying to get regular people to vote for them, you know? Absolutely. And they understand that lots of regular people, the majority of regular people, don't like racism. Yeah. Don't like sexism. Yeah. Don't like homophobia, you know? Yeah. And so they're like, we are going to, you know, like help along the, the, the modern secular project in Quebec of like trying to eliminate those forms of prejudice. Right. Um, but we're not going to do it in such a way that makes us look insane, unelectable, um, you know, petty, whatever. And we're not going to do it in such a way that allows wreckers the, the, the possibility to just like destroy our party from within, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's another important lesson for people to take away from this is that like, this is not, this party is not like, um, some like wacky, uh, you know, like red, brown, like fash, like whatever party, you know? Mm-hmm. And they're also not like, um, insane, like liberal wreckers. Yeah. You know? They're trying to build like a brand of like populist, socialism that resonates with regular people and that is like clearly and articulately like anti-racist and and so on and so forth. Yeah. And I think I'll I'll just say one more thing before we close out, which is just, you know, I think for the people who listen to this podcast, we've emphasized it enough that probably, you know, people's, people's, um, listening skills might be changing, but I know that when I was inside the Nexus, I was encouraged to listen with such a critical ear, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. that the only thing I was looking for is like, what's wrong with it? Like, you know, and how I would do something better, you know? And for sure, like there's aspects of this platform that I agree with strongly. There's aspects that I think, you know, doesn't go as far as I would like it to, you know, I don't necessarily agree with everything in it, but are we able to look for what is working Mm -hmm. and also compare it to like what else is on offer? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, because I think that when we get too utopian or too specific where we're just kind of like, it has to be this or nothing else, we just shoot ourselves in the foot because it's like, look at the state of the world. Mm -hmm. We need to be investing in things that 
are in alignment with our goals and the direction we want to be moving in, but that are also like realistic to the current situation, you know? Um, and so I hope that people can listen like with an open mind and like when, when you were posting about this, Jay, um, you know, there was people, several people, cause I shared, Jay posted about, you know, the platform in English, um, on Instagram and I shared it. And so like several Anglophone, um, Quebec people were like messaging me about it and talking to me about it. And, you know, many people were like mad or like had feelings about the, um, like the separatism kind of stuff. Right. But like through the conversations by the end of it, they were like, you know what? Yeah. Like it actually is supporting so many things that I believe in. Would I rather be in an independent Quebec country that has all of these cool laws or would I rather be in Canada and just be in a shitty situation like always? Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of like, you compromise where you compromise, you know? And sometimes we have to compromise to move towards what we want, even if you don't agree with everything. Yeah. Um, and that's generally, like, the stance that I take on things now because I would rather that we make some kind of forward motion than none. Yeah. Um, I'm also, like... Sorry, I know we're trying to be ending this this episode, but I'm also just, like, thinking about this. I'm like, guys, like, I think a lot of people don't understand... And I might be wrong about this, but I, I honestly think that, like, Quebec separating from Canada is actually inevitable. It's going to happen. Like, all they have to do is win one referendum, you know? And, like, there's already been two. And, like, right now, support for separation is, like, pretty low, which is why, you know, Quebec's letter doesn't talk about it that much, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, like, all you really need to happen is, like, some, you know, federal, like, liberal um, prime minister gets involved in some insane scandal or, like, does something that, like, really pisses francophones off. And then you get a nationalist party co- co- uh, elected in Quebec. They have a referendum. They're gone. It just has to happen once. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and, like, I think that there's, like, a very good chance that it will happen. And if that happens, I would much rather that it's fucking Quebec Solidaire doing it mm-hmm. than, like, one of these, like, right-wing nationalist Absolutely. parties that are, like, total pieces of shit and, like, actually are bigoted, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I would much rather that, like, the constitution of a new, like, Quebec Republic be, like, written by a bunch of socialists. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Than by, like, the fucking CAC. Absolutely. You know? So welcome to French politics <laughs> to everyone out there who's like, what the fuck is going on? I thought you guys were in Canada. We're like, nope. <laughs> we're not in Canada. <laughs> we are not. Um, but yeah, so thanks for listening to Fucking Cancelled. Um, we appreciate the support. Um, is there anything else we need to say? I think that's it. Thanks a lot, guys. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.